listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, recorded June 26th, 2019. Episode 47, Moving Day AMA. We answer questions live from Twitch chat and Twitter, and talk a bit about Gentes. Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 47, Moving Day AMA. From Hamilton, Ontario, I'm Sean, and here with me, live and direct from Windsor, Ontario, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Moti. I am the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your game and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I'd like to say hi to everyone in the lobby here on Twitch. We start here live every Wednesday night at 9.30pm Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop and continue on even after the double bell ends the show for more off the books after show. For those of you who aren't here live, you can listen in on this audio as well as audio from our front desk pre-show by backing our Patreon. As a thanks for supporting us, you also get other cool stuff like access to a private Discord channel where you can chat with us and other fans of the show, pre-production show notes, behind-the-scenes blog posts, and more. So, last week we said we are getting back to answering your gaming and game night questions, and this week we are doing that. We are men of our words. Uh, What's different this week, though, is we're going to answer your questions live, right here on Twitch. That's right. Tonight is the first Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast AMA, or Ask Me Anything, or rather, Ask Us Anything. So the Ask Us Anything segment will be during our usual Ask the Bellhop segment. Other than that, you can expect the usual show format. Um, After the AMA, um, I'll be talking about Gentis in the Tabletop Gaming Weekly segment. And I've even gotten a bit on the table since last time we talked about the Bellhop's Tabletop. We love interacting with our listeners and viewers. Each week, we're going to highlight some of our interactions with you fine folk. We'll share some of the feedback we've received, comments on our content, maybe some of the gaming discussions we've been part of out on the web. We want to share what people are saying, whether that's positive or negative. We get better with your comments and suggestions, and if you'd like to let us know something about the show, send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com. That's S-E-A-N. You can also hit us up on social media where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. So up first, I've got some comments going back to our con prep episode, Pros at Cons. Here are some great con tips from our fans. Smug Air Throwing Scorpion writes, Always have a portable charger or two. I'm surprised I don't see this as much when I attend cons, but go to the con floor with a roomy and empty backpack with just your essentials on you. Not all vendors have bags, and this keeps your hands free. Also, moist wipes for everything. Well, thanks, Scorpion. Hand sanitizer is a good idea, too. A lot of people might look at you funny if you start scrubbing your hands constantly, but as Mo and D will tell you, con crud can be devastating, and constantly washing your hands is a real preventative. Now, Cody Deneau at faux hip underscore hipster writes, Plan snack foods before the con. Bring extra deodorant and a pillow. Bring an electric kettle for coffee, tea, ramen, and hot water for cleaning maps. Thanks, Cody. I gotta say, I love that electric kettle idea. It's not one I thought of. Uh, Just being able to bring some uh, pot noodles in the back of your backpack. I I guess you wouldn't carry it with you, but have it in the room. That's pretty cool. I dig that. It's not one we've ever thought of. We've actually got a nice electric kettle. It's something we may do for the next con we attend. Michael Lewis at Draco Primus has a scheduling suggestion. More and more panels are being recorded and posted online. This leaves more time for playing new board games. I can watch the panels or streamed games later when I get home. 
Well, thanks, Michael. I responded to this on Twitter as well. While you can certainly get content, fr content from a podcast or a video, it just isn't the same as being there and participating in the panel. Certainly, though, if you're overbooked, the panel will be something you can catch up on, unlike a game session. <laughs> now, check out our Twitter backlog for a ton of great other contents. Now, one other comment we wanted to highlight tonight deals with the Tabletop Deals account the Bellhop runs on Twitter at Tabletop underscore Deals, where he shares all kinds of great deals and sales on tabletop games. Now, Sean, at Bruin for a Living, just wanted to thank you for continuing to post the board game deals. Way back in January, you posted a deal for Downforce I ended up buying. Seemingly insignificant event, but it was the first board game I was able to get both my wife and daughter to play with me. It's still one of our favorites and gets played far more often than anything else in the game closet. I absolutely cherish the time I get to spend with all of us gathering around the table playing games because of what you posted. Thank you so very much. Enjoy Origins and keep those deals coming. Wow. Uh, thanks so much, Sean. Bruin for a living. That's, that is awesome to hear. Like, I know people appreciate saving the money and appreciate saving, sharing that I share the deals. And plus, I appreciate people clicking on the links because it does help support this show. Uh, that's awesome to hear, though, that it means more than that for Sean and his family. That is really cool to hear. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks to everyone who comments, emails, replies, and engages with our content. We record the show live Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern on Twitch, and we encourage people to drop in and take part in our chat room, The Lobby. Don't forget, if you're here live, we continue the show after the Double Bell in an off-the-books after show, as well as some special features that might make it onto YouTube. So tonight is really all about you people in the lobby, so we'll be getting back to you very soon. We're here to answer your game gaming or game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at... Qu qu it wasn't just you me can, tonight. Nope. You hey. can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. Uh, social media works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Well, the best way is for questions to come through the website. That way they don't get lost. I'm not going to say no to a question asked anywhere. Tonight, we're doing our very first Ask Us Anything episode. Uh, so first, I just want to explain quickly why this is happening, why we're doing this, why we're not doing our normal format. So the first thing, as Sean alluded to earlier, is Deanna and I brought back some really nasty con crud from Origins. Despite getting a lot of great games and meeting a lot of people, I shook a lot of hands, hugged a lot of people. Oh, I'm sorry to hear I see Kat in the chat room saying it's contagious, so hopefully we didn't spread it to them. Um... We got a nasty bout of con crud. Um, not the worst I've ever had. It's not like I spent the entire time in the washroom or anything, but it wasn't good. And it kind of killed us for a little while there. Then on Friday, when we're just starting to recover, we finally got the call about my dad. So we haven't really talked about my parents a lot on the show. Uh, going back in our early episodes, it was mentioned. But two years ago... We, the situation changed for our family. We ended up having to put my dad in a retirement living community. And at that time, we applied to get him into long-term care, which is uh, medical care, an actual medical facility. Well, we got the call Friday that we had 24 hours to accept the bed in the place we most wanted him to move to. So we accepted that right away. And they were like, you got to move him Tuesday at 1 p.m. We want him here Tuesday, 1 p.m. And this was Friday, and here we are all sick. So it was miss really short notice and while today's yesterday was that tuesday 
Uh, due to the short notice, I tried to get some people down to help to move some furniture. No one was free yesterday, but thankfully I was able to find a couple Sean's. One here, Sean from Hamilton, and Sean Hamilton to help out today. But due to this, everything's been kind of up in the air. Everything's been a mess. So between Concrud, getting back from Origins, I haven't been able to sit down, review questions, write up blog posts, or do the work I would normally do for this show. So I admit we're, we're cheaping out tonight. We're, we're taking the easy road. Uh, we're looking for you to give us questions. But added to that, we have had a couple people ask if we were going to do this. I was personally thinking we'd save it for our, our one-year anniversary, but since we needed something to put here, we're going to do this here. All right, so... I'm going to start off because I've got one that I've been thinking about that's back piggybacking a little bit off of our last episode. So when it comes to going and visiting cons, uh, for a first time con goer, what do you recommend? If you've got, you know, someone new who's a board gamer and I, and I want to specifically, you know, call out the board gamers here, um, where should they be going? Should they be looking at something more like a QCC or a little higher level, maybe with a breakout or should they just, you know, go full gusto and just get to something like Origins or Gen Con or, you know, go to the big ones? The big thing is make sure you're going to a gaming con and not a trade show. So this was something over the last couple of weeks of going to Origins and talking to people about the differences between Origins and Gen Con is that Gen Con is a trade show, whereas Origins is a gaming fair. So people go to Gen Con to learn about the new games, to engage with the new hotness, to see what companies are presenting, to go to keynote speeches, to see award ceremonies. You're not actually there to game. You're there to learn about games or you're there to shop. Whereas Origins is a gaming convention where in general, people are there to play games. My suggestion is go to a gaming convention. Now, I would probably recommend try to find something small local first, even if that's not a con, just a local meetup, right? Get used to playing with strangers, get used to playing with um, it in public, because playing in public is different than playing on your dining room table. Make sure the con you're going to is, like I said, uh, trying to think of the accessible to gaming. So one of the things, Origins, if you just go to Origins and all you want to do is play board games, they have something called the board game badge, right? And it's it's one of these things you put on the bottom of your... Oh, I dropped it. I was going to show off a badge, a ribbon. A ribbon you put on the bottom of your badge. I'm not going to bother picking that up now. And you put the ribbon on the bottom of your badge and it gives you access to the board game area. The thing is, I, I'm going to get the price wrong because I don't remember, but say it's 20 bucks. It's like $20 US. And all that lets you do is get past the ropes. Now, once you're past the ropes, you have tons of tables and lots of other people who have paid just to play board games and a ridiculously huge library. Like, if you thought the one at, at uh, Breakout was impressive, you didn't see the Origins game library. Like, it puts it to shame. But you're dealing with a lot more people. And you have all dedicated people to do that, but you're paying just to play board games with strangers, which is something I can do here in Windsor pretty much every Saturday. Like, it's just not something I understand paying for. But I get it for people who don't have the local gaming community for that. Whereas if you go to a breakout or a QCC or any of these smaller cons, in particular, there's usually a free board gaming space. Maybe there's paid gaming events, but both of the two cons we just mentioned do not charge to sit and play board games. Some are scheduled events, some are off the books. So to me, unless, like, I don't get, to be honest, I don't get it. I'm not one of the people that buys an Origin board game badge, though I know there's enough people, that's what they do. They go, they pay their money, and they spend the entire weekend in that board game area just playing games with people. Now, one uh, important little fact Shazar brings up, 
Read the listings of events for any con. No matter which one you go to, they all do things differently and be prepared to sign up in advance. Yeah, our con prep episode talked a lot about the different things you can do ahead of time. And signing up ahead of time is huge. The other thing, though, is don't overbook yourself. If you're going to a con for the first time, I did this. You're like, I'm at a con. I want to do all the things. And you schedule every hour of your day. Just don't do that. Leave time not just to decompress, but to fit in the stuff you didn't know was going to happen. There's a lot of stuff that happens at cons that is not just on the book, scheduled table gaming. There's people go for dinner. People do pickup games. You run into someone in the hallway. All right. We need some questions, people. You're in the chat. The chat room's not empty tonight. We got 10 people watching. We're Kat's here to answer asking, your question. Cat's asking if that's like renting board games when you go into that uh, yes. uh, open gaming. That that is exactly what happens in the board game hall. Now it's the same thing. QCC is the same thing. Well, no, QCC it was just out on a table. Um, Breakout Con was the same deal where there'll be a table with a bunch of people at it with board games behind them. They usually have a binder listing all the games. You say, I want to use this game. They let you sign out this game. You go play it. So at Origins, like they had the new hotness, like they had games you couldn't buy. You could get prototypes at it. And I kind of get it, but there is so much open gaming space there. Like I played Terraforming Mars. I played board games, but I didn't play any of them in that room. But at, yeah, as Shazar mentions, like look at the con too, because there are cons that are role-playing cons and there are cons that are board game cons. Uh, Major Kayla is mentioning this. Danielle in the chat is mentioning she's involved with Queen City Conquest. They're trying to get more ga- board game interests. Uh, but that is more of a role-playing con. But there are role-playing, there are board games here. When we used to have the Windsor Game Fest in Windsor, Ontario, it was 100% a role-playing con. Like, okay, unless miniature gaming. There was miniature gaming, like Battletech, stuff like that, Car Wars. But there weren't, like, I don't remember anyone sitting down and playing Talisman or having scheduled events for or Monopoly or even Acquire, which was popular back then. Yeah, so the board game badge, is that on top of the, yes. the, show ba- the full show badge? Yes. Right. Like for Deanna and I to go play board games in that room is another $40 US, right. which just, I don't get it. Like I, I, enough people do it. That's their thing. And I know a lot of people meet up with their friends, but I just, I guess if you don't own the games, like I, obviously we talked about it. I own a rather extensive board game collection. If you don't have access to something like that, that is a chance to play stuff you may not have access to. And I also get it if you're not in a community that has like game stores that have demo games, right? Like we could go to our local game stores and try stuff out. They do demo nights at both local stores. Right. But if you don't have that, this might be your only chance to play wingspan before buying it. So I can kind of see it. All right. I had a question for you, Sean. Sure. What so far has been the best game for your kids to get them invested in modern board gaming? Cause you were kind of starting from scratch about a year and a half ago. I was, um, well, I mean, my son, my son got a little hooked when I started with chess. So his personality uh, got him really interest, interested with chess. Uh, my daughter was really, uh, really became invested with us when we started playing the Harry Potter game. And I wasn't expecting that. Um, uh, but more so when she jumped into DCC. So I guess be- between, between the DC, uh, not DCC, DC, between the DC deck builder and, and Harry Potter um, was when they really kind of uh, jumped on and... And got hooked, uh, and then my son is is the one who loves the Duke as well. Uh, but yeah, these deck builders, especially if you can get you know something, you know cards are easy. I mean, my kids have been playing Uno for ever, um, and they love cards. So uh, playing a card game is a great way to get them sort of into that concept because they know how to hold cards and look at cards and read cards. So it's just a matter of yeah, these aren't you know ace through quick king. This is your magic wand and your 
magic snitch, uh, which again are things they know. And so I found that, you know, linking it to that familiar concept, whether it was Harry Potter or DC Comics, um, really worked. And my daughter actually isn't a comic book fan. Uh, she knows enough from the movies, but my son's actually read the comic books and he was really invested in the individual cards and characters on the cards. But my daughter just had fun playing it, even though she didn't know what half the cards were referring to. So with our kids, I don't know, we did it so early, it's hard to tell. The ones they're still excited about, um, Deanna can probably post it in the chat. So they just had a board game day at their their show or at the school yesterday and Jen brought some games. I know I recommended Kids of Carcassonne. Um, she bought Monster Factory, which is a fantastic game from Rio Grande Games. Excuse me, Genevieve and Mr. Fox. They are obsessed with that game. So that's a um, deduction game, a cooperative deduction game for kids that they still, though to me, they seem to have solved it. But they seem to love that one. But for them early, it was stuff they could touch and play with. That was the biggest thing. So if you could touch and play with stuff and, and manipulate. So things like Ladybug's Costume Party, Monza with the big dice, uh, that Flower Garden game that I remember back when we did our kids episode was really hard to find. That was a big one. Um, they had one where they, you built a caterpillar using a shoestring. Stuff like that is what really got them at a young age. Even more so than the games. It was more the, the tactile. All right, and so to answer Will Chamberlain, uh, I have no problem with square tomatoes, although I find they are less useful than square watermelons, because square watermelons can last inside the vending machines in Japan where they're used, whereas tomatoes are just not a vending machine-friendly food, square or not. So See, now, now to answer his question, because that is surprisingly a board game-related question, I think they were really big at the start of the season and last year, but I don't think anyone's going to be investing in them going forward, so I dropped my stock in them. And I'm just wondering if he knows the answer to this. So in the latest version of that game that comes out this year, I wonder if they even still have the square tomatoes in it. Um, it's a reference to the very heavy Euro board game Dimocker where you are playing the German political party trying to get house seats in the house. And one of the debates you can talk about is the, whether you support or do not support Square Tomatoes. And it is cool that Square Tomatoes are in the new version. Are you going to pick it up, Jamie? I, I'm not planning on it because I, I know I won't get it to the table often enough. Like I did dig it when Alex brought it over that one time. All right. Domeniana. Don't Wow. I can't just... Domania? Domania. My apologies for pronunciation. Domania. As far as Gen Con is concerned, what's a safe budget to go there with? I couldn't answer you because I haven't been to Gen Con. Uh, I will say we went to Origins with about... Uh, you know what? It's different to everyone, depending on what you need, what you want to do. So one of the things you decide ahead of time... Okay, we're going to break this down differently. One of the things you have to decide is why you're going to the con. Are you going to play games? Are you going to buy games? Are you going to go shopping? Are you going there for the experience? Are you going to go there just to meet up with people and then you have to budget accordingly? Because what you may not think of is, yeah, I'm just going to go there and meet up with my friends. Well, if all you're trying to do... Ha, that's funny. Dome. Ha, I should have realized that one. So what I should have realized... What I should have realized... Wow, I am... <laughs> 
apologies for that. Um, what you need to realize is that like hanging out with friends costs money because if you're trying to do the social thing, you're probably going to be going out to lunches, dinners, and possibly drinks. And that adds up, especially in the U S uh, craft beers are great, but there's still seven bucks and that's seven bucks U S when you're down there. Right? So if, even if you're thinking, I'm not even going to go, I'm not going to get the bat. I'm just going to hang out with people realize that's going to cost money too. Um, if you're shopping for games, you want to bring money that costs games because nowadays games cost like 60 to 80 bucks each, right? So determine your budget ahead of time. Uh, you want to buy generic tickets. I recommend at any con you buy at least 10 generic tickets, which is 20 bucks usually. So that's the, hey, there's a cool panel on this thing. I didn't realize it's starting. I want to go to it. And that costs a generic. Or you're happen to walk around the game room and they're about to start a new game of Wingspan. You're like, oh, I always wanted to try this. Well, if you're in the gaming room, they may require a generic. Or you could just be bored on Sunday and be like, hey, there's this whole puffing Billy train thing. What's that? Let's go check it out. That'll take generics. That's for all the stuff you didn't pre-schedule. So always, uh, we always bring like $20 worth of generics, carry them on us just in case you need them. And at the end of the con, you can always return them. So I always budget for that. Uh, we budget $50 a day for food, uh, though we like to eat out, right? So that's probably high for most people. Bringing kind bars, granola bars, protein bars, all that is going to save you money, right? Keep that on you and plan. Uh, one of the big ones we do now that I've been trying to do is hit up Starbucks or Tim Hortons for breakfast just because it's relatively reasonably priced and quick. So I get a coffee and a breakfast sandwich and then I go. So that kind of saves us money in the morning. I tend to do the kind bar, granola bar, protein bar for lunch. And then that $50 is all there for dinner, which sometimes is not enough. Um, that depends. Your hotel budget's going to be the most expensive thing at the con most likely uh it seems like that especially origins or gen con if you can even find somewhere to stay to go to gen con which is one of the reasons we've never gone and then you need your money to to do stuff so uh just a rough estimate i think we brought about 800 dollars us for pocket money to go to origins and that was you know two of us were there for five days 50 dollars a day you know we did all the math and we're like plus we want to buy a few things here and there so uh, it adds up right? But it's all about budgeting ahead of time. The important part is budget, like plan ahead, realize how much to bring. I'm going through the, uh, the Gen Con forums right now, actually. Uh, and there, there's actually some threads on budgeting. Uh, and I'm looking at some pretty scary numbers here, uh, for my, for my budget, uh, two people before you even buy a single thing on the show floor, you're looking at about 850 bucks. Yeah, that's, uh, and we, that's, we, and we that's brought... cheaping out by like, you know, eating lunch on the road mm -hmm. and, you know, not eating lunch at the hotel and, and trying to, you know, not eating, you know, trying to spend as little, like they're talking about $70 for three days of food, not $50 wow. a day. Like they're really trying to, to cut cheap. And that's only five events at the yeah. $2 events. So that's like, you know, there it's the four day badge, uh, for two is $242 at wow, Gen Con. Wow, that's a lot more than Origins was. Yeah. So I'm not even counting the badge or I'm just talking about my, we've already, okay, I've already, we brought $800, but that's after my badges are covered. Um, I signed up for two RPG events and I signed up for two panels. So not counting all that, right? So I, I'd say like a grand minimum. Yeah, I, the, the number I'm seeing here that looks reasonable to me in this, in this thread is two people, $2,000, including travel. That's all in. So $2,000. Yes, for well, it was more than 2000 for us to go to Origins just because of the hotel. Right. Like that, the hotels are nuts for Origins. That's, I do strongly recommend everyone go, but just the, the important thing is stay within your budget. 
All right, I'm going to give this to Sean first just because. Uh, Sean, what are your current top board games? That is coming from Danielle. Uh, right now, my top number one is Duke uh, with DC Comic Collectors uh, coming in second behind that. Uh, and I'm actually really enjoying Roll for the Galaxy on Board Game Geek right now. So, or Board Game Arena. Board Game Arena, yes, sorry. All right, what about stuff that you don't necessarily own that you played here? Oh, good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was I loved Clank the last time uh, we got that to the table. Uh, Clank was definitely uh, a fun one. Um, one I'm looking forward to trying with you is I got two expansions for Eminent Domain. So ah, we'll finally find out if uh, how much better the game is. Now, oh. Jamie's in the chat. He's the one that re- strongly recommended Escalation a long time ago, and I finally have it. So that'll be cool to check. And that's the one that makes the, the, the Supposedly military. makes, f- yeah, military yeah. more viable. Right. As well as other things. All right. Uh, for me, current top board games, I'm really loving Genthus. I, I've mentioned this before, right? For me, I, we always say I'm not about the new hotness, but I'm about the new hotness for me. Like I tend to get into a game and I play it a bunch of times and move on to something else. So right now, Gentis is really big. Um, Tail to Walken, I'm really enjoying. And for some reason, I am still loving Straussburg. I, that just keeps coming back to the table. And like, I was sharing pictures on Instagram. I'm like, ooh, Strasbourg. I want to play that again. There is something about the 35 auctions in an hour that I love about Strasbourg. So those are, those are my current hotness. Uh, one of the ones I really want to bring back that I haven't been playing, but QCC has me excited for it is I want to bring out Laser Riders again. I have, I have a good, good urge to play that again. Uh, so those are probably my tops right now. Uh, as for what I'm excited about, I really want to try Dead Man's Cabal. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Sorcerer from White Wizard Games. And what I'm hoping to try out, I'm kind of jumping ahead here with this actually, is the 8-bit box because that just looks really neat. Which actually, I'm going to jump right to the next question from Cat Attack. Uh, what board games would you introduce people who are solely console gamers? And I got to say, the 8-bit box seems like it might be the best thing, but I haven't actually played it, so I can't tell you. But this thing is awesome. I wish I had it here. I could hold in front of you. Um, so this is a box that has, I think it's six players worth, and they look like controllers. Like, they literally look like video game controllers, and they're for programmed movement or programmed actions where you just like turn your like like x-wing right like you turn your sliders you to you point your controllers different things to determine what you're going to do and there's cubes and there's cards and there's dice and it's like a system for playing various games and in the box comes with three they call them cartridges right so right here you got totally console thing going on so you got three cartridges and one's uh pac-man another looks like river raiders and yet again even though last episode i said i can't remember what the third one is but there's three different games that come in the box. And the whole point is to recreate the feel of video games in board game form. Now, this is put out by Yellow. Uh, right now, they got the three games. And coming out very soon, I think it's in August, is a Double Dragon knockoff. Which that's actually got me really excited because Sean and I grew up playing Double Dragon. And I like 2D scrollers. And it would be cool to see what they do. Uh, it's a really neat looking game. So I think that is a cool one for console gamers. Uh, other than that, console gaming can be so big, right? Like there's so many different type of console games that I would have to find out what they're into, right? Like if they're into first person shooters, I break out adrenaline just to be able to prove that you can recreate that feel of Doom or whatever, Fortnite, I guess. This is more Doom, uh, not Doom, what's the, oh, I can't, what, what's the other big, the one Mike used to play all the time? In between, there was a big Quake Fallout. Quake. Hmm? Quake. Quake. Yeah, it might have been Quake. That's not the one I'm thinking of, but whatever. One of those, you know, 
if you have they they even have like bots you can use, but it recreates that feel in in board game form and does a really good job of it. If they're into RPGs, I'd be looking at something like a Descent, or if they're into Star Wars Imperial Assault, that kind of game. Especially um, the skirmish modes are going to be good for that. If they're into space shooters, something like X Wing, uh, Unreal. Thank you, Jamie. That's the one I was trying to think of. Uh, what about something like uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault? Yeah. Uh, Imperial Assault be a good one, I, but it'd be into what kind of console games are you into, right? Would kind of drive me to determine what board games. I would probably, I would, I would never suggest a uh, that they went out and bought it. But um, I have to say, and and this is coming from Cat on the question, but Gloomhaven is a pretty good start for you know, and yeah. people who like the Diablo or you know your dungeon crawler video games, uh, Gloomhaven is a great. If so, if you've got it already, it's a great place to go. Um, what about Fallout? Would you recommend that for, uh, uh, for video gamers? <laughs> yes. I, I tried it with video gamers who love Fallout, and the guy had such a bad experience, he almost rage quit. So that's... that's, that's uh, the Fallout has problems. We've talked about Fallout. Fallout has a... I'm starting to think about a 35% chance that you're going to have a terrible experience while everyone else has good experience because you rolled the dice bad or drew the wrong cards. And if you're that player, it's not fun. Um, but yeah, I could see it. Fallout's pretty good. Um, that's the other thing. Like, go with themes, right? That new game that's coming from Check Games Edition, which I, we talked about last episode, so I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically a Diablo clone. That looks like it's going to be good yep. for that. Um, for Final Fantasy fans... Uh, oh, if you like Final Fantasy Tactics, there's a tiny epic tactics, I think it's called, that literally tries to recreate the Final Fantasy Tactics feel, which looks really cool. Um, uh, Descent, Journeys in the Dark, you can play it with the app. Or Mansions of Madness is another one if you're into like those story-style games. But the Mansion of Madness 2nd Edition, avoid 1st Edition because someone will put a chit in the wrong place and ruin it. Uh, Jamie recommends Crossmaster. That's a good call, though I don't think that's still supported. But it comes with little pre-painted chibi figures doing a battle. Oh, that's a good one, too. Um, Arcadia Quest would be another one if you were a console gamer. Or even Super Dungeon Explorer, which has the chibi figures, but it's a big... Arcadia Quest neat because it's a PvP while you're also playing a quest. So it's like having three different parties trying to complete a quest at once and compete. And it's got a lot of those video game feels. Super Dungeon Explorer is the same type of thing where you're going to keep mashing your A button by using your attack power. Uh, and again, it looks really cute and it has that anime look. So I believe it's actually still out on Kickstarter. I'm not sure if it's actually been released yet. But uh, Resident Evil 2, the board game, uh, is rating a 7.7 .7 on Board Game Geek right now. Uh, if you're a Resident Evil fan, I would recommend Dead of Winter, if that's your thing, because Dead of Winter is considered one of the best zombie games out there. Right. Uh, I've got one recommendation here, Arkham Horror, the card game. Uh, as a, as uh, maybe. Of, if, you, if you're into the Lovecraftian uh, type. To me, if you're into console games, cards seem like a more abstract. I think you'd want something with like miniatures. and. But that's, a, again, I'd have to talk to the console players and be like, hey, what do you like? If they're really into Bejeweled, you introduce them to Azul. Right? Like, if that's their thing, or Puzzle Quest. There's so many different console games out there. If you like survival horror, then you're going to go for that Mansions of Madness. Uh, King of Tokyo, that's a good call. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth. That's looking good. I haven't tried it. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Um, that's the latest one in the... So, Descent was a huge coffin box dungeon crawler. Way too complicated, way too many rules, took way too long to play in a, in a game. They made Descent 2nd Edition and got it down to like a one hour. 
Oh, I have another recommendation. I'm going to try to remember this. I got, got it down to like a one-hour game, really good. And then they put out Imperial Assault, which again, revised the rules a little better and put a Star Wars theme on it. So I'm sold. I'm done. Don't need to play Descent anymore. But if you like it now, the Lord of the Rings one is the newest. And it looks good. Uh, they were playing it at CG Realm this weekend. I just couldn't make it out. It's uh, it's rating it's rating over an eight with more than two thousand yeah, ratings. It's 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 looking good. And it's a, it's actually uh, if a two you and like, half. It's a two and a half weight too. So yeah, it's it's supposed to be really good. If you like two D fighters, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, you gotta play BattleCon. It is really good. It actually manages to feel like you're playing Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. BattleCon, War of Indines, Devastation of Indines, Fate of Inns, Indines, any of those. Those are really good. Um, fantastic. Like each box comes with a ridiculous number of characters and it feels like playing a two player fighter trying to get your combos off and anticipate what your opponent's doing. All right. Uh, I'm going to jump to Deanna's question here. What is your favorite board game from your childhood? I've got a mixed answer here. There's two. Um, Talisman will always like that. That was such a huge part of growing up. That was. The first board game I bought with my own money, actually the first thing, gaming thing I bought with my own money was White Dwarf number 100, which led to Talisman from Leisure World at Devonshire Mall. Um, my parents gave me the money, and at the time I was really into heavy metal and band shirts and tapes, and we're like, we're going to give you money, and you're going to buy something that's not one of those heavy metal tapes. And they took me to Leisure World, and I bought Talisman. Uh, Talisman, I played the heck out of that game uh like we used to bring it to the family christmas parties and my cousin and i would play every birthday like i i couldn't even like board game geek existed i don't know i'd probably be in the hundreds of plays it's still i still dig it there is such a huge nostalgia factor to that game we once played for f i think it was four days straight because we decided the only way to win was if the adventure deck was empty just because you know so there was that one and then there is a weird i almost swore game called Cats, which was put out by Chieftain Games, which is a Canadian company, uh, was later released in the States as Cats Mansion, and it's a really unique game where every player is playing a cat, and every cat is looking for a cat thing. A, a pr there's a present, there's a bowl of food, there's a ball of yarn, and there's something else. A mouse. There's four different things, and there's five different cats, and at the beginning of the game, oh my god, I just realized one of my favorite games as a kid is a social deduction game. That's kind of funny. Everyone is assigned a cat and an object randomly and with four players. So there's one cat that's no one. No one knows who you are or what object you're looking for. And then the secret of the game is you have to get your cat to your object. But if you make it too obvious, people are going to realize, oh, you're obviously the, the tabby cat looking for the ball of yarn. So we'll move the ball of yarn very far away from you. Uh, there's some really weird mechanics. It looks like you're playing Clue. Um, there's these purr and meow cards where people can move your cat around the room. Uh, we end up making some house rules for it. Uh, one of our rules growing up up is um what was it you can't hiss a cat through a wall but you can punch an orc through a window was one of the rules we came up with as a kid so you can tell the games workshop influence there but i still love it i still have my copy of cats um you know what's weird is we've never played with the girls i've never actually introduced my kids <laughs> to cats somehow just because it's like that game that i have yep. in the basement that's hilarious it's interesting one of my most memorable games is actually uh basically a Monopoly ripoff with a, with a few twists. Uh, it's International Movie Maker. Um, and, you know, it's basically Monopoly, except you're not building on the board. You're actually collecting cards to build films. 
Uh, and it's sort of it was it was interesting to me in that you actually had to like try and get the right actors for films and you know try it was set collection but it was set collection in, uh, to me that was just sort of mind boggling as a a little kid I mean this came out in nineteen nineteen sixty eight and wow. it was a roll and move set collection uh, auction game sounds cool. And you know, I still have a, I still have my copy of it. I, I haven't put it to the table in, in years, and the kids are. It's probably the kids would be bored to tears with it. But you were just trying to make Oscar-winning films, uh, and it was it was more um, money changed hands more and better than it did in Monopoly. And you weren't sort of overtaking the board the way you do in Monopoly. So moving around the board just sort of got things for your hand. You weren't going to punish someone for stomping for, you know, for them stomping on your, uh, uh, on your space. Uh, and that, and that one just kind of blew my mind. I guess that in some ways that was kind of my introduction to, you know, better than the roll and move mm-hmm. big box games, even though it was just another big box game from the sixties. That sounds good. What's funny is I've got a game from my dad that we bought years ago that we still have not played. So shadow Lord, I think it was called. And the, it came out, at that time period when Dark Tower was really popular and the commercial was like, you can become the Shadow Lord. I'm sure you can YouTube it and it's like a classic 80s commercial. And we got it and it's actually sci-fi. And I I went through phases as a kid where I either loved fantasy or loved sci-fi. And when I loved fantasy, I hated sci-fi. And when I loved sci-fi, I hated fantasy. The only exception was Star Wars. I always loved Star Wars. But I, I don't know. I went through these phases and it came out at a point where I wanted fantasy and here it was sci-fi and I never actually played it. So I'm like, that's still in my basement. So that's one I need to try at some point. Uh, so um, let's take a look at Major Kayla's. Uh, how long does it take you to really learn a game that has more than, you know, your standard four-page instruction insert? I, You know what? That's so hard to tell because it's so it depends how well the rule book is written. Like, it, it really depends. I, I hate I, I probably every question asked tonight, we could say it depends. I hate that, that that's the default answer. But, man, it really does because if there was five pages of instruction are written really well, I might learn the game after one read. If it could be a 40-page rule book and be very clear and excellent and with lots of examples and I'm good to go, or it could be Hannibal, Rome versus Carthage, which I still haven't gotten to the table because, oh my God, I can't figure out what the heck is going on in that game. Because here's all the stuff, but there's no examples and there's no shots. Like The only way I'm going to learn that game is either someone's going to teach me or I'm going to sit downstairs and I'm going to put the map out and I'm going to put the starting armies up and then I'm going to read the rules and I'm going to move, like actually move the chips for the examples because otherwise I'm never going to figure this game out. Uh, another recent example was Genthus. I'm talking about how it's one of my favorite games. That rule book, like perfectly explained how to do everything. And I got how to do everything, but I could not figure out why. Oh, again, I'm actually jumping ahead because I'm going to be talking about this. But... Like, I read it, and I'm like, huh? And then I played, and I'm like, oh, okay. So that one takes longer. But in general, I'll admit, for me to learn a game, I own a lot of games. I played a lot of games, plus... I know it's just the way my brain works. I'm one of those people. We talked about how people learn different ways, whether by seeing, by hearing, by reading, and so on. I learn really well by reading. So often, I read the game, and usually by the end of the first play, I've got it. Now, of course, that first play was extreme because you have to and you mess something up. That's that's one of the bellhops rules. You're going to mess something up the first play. So I would say um, I read the game 
I, I unbox the game, I look at the components, I punch the components, then I read the rules. So I always do that in that order. So that when I'm reading the rules, I've already touched and seen everything. So I think that does help. Uh, I, I have often read the rule book, say at 6 p.m., and people show up at 8 p.m. to play. So, but I've played a lot of games. But now and then, there's that game that just, wow, like I said, uh, through the ages, completely opposite. Twilight Struggle, which was like the number one game for a real long time. Um, I reread that rule book. I had played it a long time ago, and I was like, man, this is actually a really good rule book to teach a fairly complex, I'll call it a war game. People may be upset at that. Card-based strategy area control game. There. I keep both of you happy. Um, and that just made sense. It's like just reading it, it made sense. I use my cards to do this or this, and I'm trying to make sure the world doesn't blow up, and I got to watch the DEF CON level, and I can spend my cards instead to improve the space race. I'm like, man, that was really good. Or another great example is I still swear the best rule book I have ever read is um, Russian Railroads. Like stuff like here, they have actually color-coded the rule book to the board. So if you're looking at the green section of the board, you go to the green section of the rule book and it explains that section. And there's actually a part that says, hey, this is a pretty thick rule book. So how about you take a break and come back and read the rest later? And I'm like, wow, that's actually really good. And it was good. Like I actually just like put it down for a bit, went and did something else and came back. And it was great to find. Queen Games writes fantastic rule books that are also color coded. So again, it, it depends. But to be honest, to learn a game for me usually just takes one day. Um, nowadays, though, there's lots of other options, right? There's instructional videos and things like that. So what I tend to actually do, here you go, how the bellhop learns a game when I have time is the day ahead of time. At some point during the week, I unbox it, right? I touch everything. I punch it and I read the rule book. I usually do that downstairs on my couch. Then before the day of playing or the day of, so say like this Saturday, I'm hoping to break out the eight big box. That's when I'll watch a video because then it's instead of rereading the rules. So that's when I sit and I'll bring up a Rodney Smith or, um, Oh, I feel bad for forgetting his name. Gaming rules. Those are my two favorites or a Rado video. Paul Grogan is the name I forgot for gaming rules or, um, and I'll bring them up and I'll watch it, but that's more to remind myself what I read. I personally don't like learning from videos. I don't know if Sean could answer that question because I don't think you do a lot of games that have no, four page rule books. No, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've uh, for me, I'm a reader. I'm definitely a reader. Um, my son, my son wants to just sort of dive in and play things. And when it comes to like some of the DCC expansions, uh, I kind of stopped calling it DCC. DC, yeah, that's, uh, that's deck that's builder totally... expansions. Um, I have to that's just DCC. Yeah. Um, I, I have to just, I'm like, no, I, I'm going to re sit down and read the rule book before we crack this open because yes, even though we're going to play extreme the first time, I'd like to at least, you know, figure out that I'm playing extreme and, and, you know, understand the concept rather than diving in. Uh, he still wants to get into a couple of the, uh, the crisis expansions. And I'm like, no, these are crazy. They don't follow any of the rules of the other ones. Let's, let me read the, let me read the instructions first. Um, We've got another, we've got a question from Ryan Peach coming in from there we Twitter. Go. Ryan Peach asks, is there a game you passed or passed on for whatever reason and then eventually played and ended up loving? You know what? I know there is, but up right now I'm drawing a blank. I know what's happened. Oh man. I, I'm going to have to think about that. Right. I can think of new hotness games that I didn't like, <laughs> but I'm trying to, I know there's something. What is something I didn't like the first play? And then I came back, man. Oh, I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta think about that. There is one. I know there is one. All right. 
I'm going to jump ahead here, and uh, yeah. while we're talking, while you're thinking about that, we're going to look at what Real Chamberlain asked. And this is the thoughts on the top ten ranked games on BGG. Now I've okay. got that up in front of me. So number one is an easy one: Gloomhaven. It's still- I, as I said, <laughs> I, I I don't think it deserves number one because to me the number one game should be something everyone would enjoy or like the, the large, the majority of the gaming community should love playing this game. And I just can't see that with Gloomhaven. It's too big an investment, both in time and money to, to be number one. But obviously we play every Friday while well, we try to play every Friday. Uh, Kat and Tori are in the chat. That's our two players. Dan is here. All four of us love Gloomhaven. I spent more money on Gloomhaven at Origins. I bought the solo scenarios. I do love it. I think it's fantastic. I do think it ble- belongs top 100, top 50. It just seems really odd to me that this, to me, niche game can be considered the number one board game in the world. It's interesting what has driven that up there. Um, and and it's, again, it the number of voters on it is telling because there are, our number two game has, number two game and the number four game have significantly more votes cast yeah. for them than the number one game. Um, so technically, they're way more popular. <laughs> in one way or another, uh, they just yeah. aren't rated as high. And that's one of the interesting things about the BGG rankings. So moving on to number two, another one that has been played on the Friday Night Gang, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Again, I, I, it was good. I, I've never been a huge Pandemic fan. That was a much better version of Pandemic than the original. I had a great experience with it, but I almost prefer Risk Legacy to Pandemic Legacy. So, I don't know. Um, Shadzar just made a point. Sorry to jump back about Gloomhaven. I wonder if some of it is, it's not buyer's remorse. It's the opposite. Like, when people pay a lot for something, they think it's better because they paid more for it. So, like, I spent a fortune on Gloomhaven with my box. It's the number one game. I'm rating this a 10. Like, because I bought the big thing. (laughs) I wonder if that's part of it. Uh, Pandemic Legacy was fun. I liked it. I personally found it rather predictable. Like... I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's anyone out there who hasn't played Pandemic Legacy yet, but what you expect to happen kind of happens. There are some twists in the middle that I wasn't expecting, and oh my god, there was one that where where we, we called it our Civil War. That part was interesting. Uh, part of it, though, is the fact that the end of it really sucked for us and kind of ruined the whole experience. Really makes me think that it doesn't deserve its spot, but it did a lot of neat new stuff. And I got to admit, going back to my complaint on Gloomhaven, this game is more accessible for a wider range of gamers. This is a game you can play with your family, your friends. This isn't a gamer's game, right? Which to me, for best game in the world, it does deserve to be up there, I think. Just for me, I'm not a huge Pandemic fan. Now, here's one with uh, a lower number of votes, uh, still over 10,000. But uh, the number three game is Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization. Yeah, they've been talking about that in the chat. That is a fantastic <laughs> game. Really good. Uh, don't recommend playing four players because it's way too long. Uh, they managed to, like, uh, so Sid Meier Civilization, anyone nowadays probably knows what that is, uh, was the was actually based on an old Avalon Hill board game called Civilization. Uh, then it became the board game, or the video game, and that whole Civ building thing. Well, the best board game version of that nowadays is Through the Ages. Uh, it's completely card-driven, so you don't even have hexes and boats and moving your units on the board, but still manages to give that feel of starting off with an ancient civilization going all the way to the Space Age. Uh, really deep, rather heavy while not 
none of the again none of the individual mechanics are difficult but trying to decide what to do and how to manage your population and what buildings to build uh rewards repeated play especially when you start noticing that there's only like two copies of the granary so if your opponent built one and your other opponent built one there's no way you're going to get one stuff like that realizing is really good uh there are some things that people will not like in that if military is important, which I just think is if you're playing a Civ game, you have to realize that even if you're not leading the military race, you can't lag behind. And if you do, you're going to get beat down. And a lot of people don't like that. But personally, I kind of think, come on, you're playing a Civ game. Like you can't ignore military or you're going to get beat down. I can be unforgiving. You could be an hour into the game and it's a four hour game and there's no way you're going to win. So... In some ways, people will say, just play better, right? Like, it's a competitive, difficult game, kind of like Food Chain Magnet. You can make the long move on the first turn and be out of the game, learn to play better. But if you don't like that, it's not going to be a game for you. But it is fantastic. It is, in my opinion, uh, the best of the Civ building games. All right. And moving on to number four. Now, this one might be the most controversial game up here, although it does have the second highest number of votes. I don't know what your feelings on this one are going to be. Terraforming Mars. <laughs> well, I love it. Like, obviously, I'm a big fan of Terraforming Mars. Uh, if you're just looking at the base game. So that's one of the things, like, board game geek ratings you can't do is you get rating. I get, like, I can rate individual expansions, but I can't rate a mix of expansions. So that's a hard thing with Terraforming Mars. Just the base game is fantastic. I, you got to play Corporate Wars to really enjoy it. To make it better, you want to use drafting. I think you should always use Prelude. I'm starting to think you should always pull Venus out. But just the base game, it's top 10. I, I think it's, I don't know exactly what spot it should be in top 10, but it belongs where it is. And I think we know D is uh, certainly on that board as well, depending on which expansions, of course. Uh, moving on to number five, Twilight Struggle, going back to 2005 for the top 10. Yeah, that was back when I joined Board Game Geek, the number one game, and it was there for almost 10 years. We were just talking about that. Fantastic card-driven. Uh, there's a debate. There's a huge debate on the internet whether it's a war game or not. It's an area control game, USS versus Russia, play out the Cold War. Um, people have likened this game to chess once masters play it where it's all about, about planning ahead and anticipating what cards are there. Uh, really popular game. I've got to admit, I've only actually played it once. I then got a deluxe edition of the game, which rebalances it somewhat. There's a couple cards they rebalance. It's supposed to be better. I read the rules. We planned to play it while Dee was recovering from surgery, but unfortunately she was... Less able to do what she thought she'd be able to do while she was recovering. I couldn't think of an easy way to play that. Like, she grabbed a pile of books to read and didn't get through them. We thought she'd be more available to play games and wasn't. So we never got to it. I've recently reread the rules. Still sounds fantastic. It is considered by many people the best two-player game ever made. And people who love it, love it. If you don't like the theme, if you don't like moving chits on the boards and war games, you're probably not going to be a huge fan. I have to say, one of my favorite awards that this game has won is the Luca Games Best Board Game for Experts. What a, what a strangely specific so, board, yeah. like what a strangely specific award to win for anything. But uh, this, this is a game they, they used to live stream before Twitch was a big thing where like, it'd be like, oh my God, he played the China card and like people like, Ooh, what's he doing with this strategy? Like there, there are almost like grandmaster levels of Twilight Imperium players. Twilight. Yeah. Not Twilight, Twilight Imperium. Struggle. Twilight Struggle. I always get the two names <laughs> screwed up. We'll get there. Uh, so, coming in at number six, Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, 
I don't see how that's that high. It's just surprising to me. I've I've only played my copy twice. It was neat. It was kind of Star Wars in a box. Really, some really neat mechanics, but it's a super fiddly, really high produced fantasy flight play for way too many hours kind of game. I can't believe that's higher than some other epic games. I'll well, just leave it I, at I that. Not a bad game. Is there, there is definitely a sort of you know, high-priced epic trend. Yeah, sort of gets up here. But again, which, it's, which it's, does I lead spent to a lot of I money. I spent all my so. money. I better, I better like this. Uh, moving on to number seven, Gaia Project. Just to jump back, I wonder if also because it costs so much, only people who like it buy it. There is that because like you do your research and I'm like, well, of course I bought this game and of course I own it. So of course I like it. So I'm going to give it high marks because, well, I wouldn't spend 120. Well, that one's, I think 120 Canadian on the game. If I would, didn't like it. Yeah. List, so I think uh, rebellion is listed 99 us us. Yeah. I said 120 yeah. Canadian approximately. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Gaia project is number seven. I've only played it once. I dig it, but so far I'm preferring Terra Mystica. So I'm surprised Terra Mystica is not higher, but then everyone seems to prefer Gaia project. Um, we have been playing a ridiculous amount of Terra Mystica on board game arena. I've now played all but three of the races and there's an awful lot of them. I'm really digging that, but I did all that after trying Gaia project. So now that I've done that, I need Chad to get Gaia project back out and we need to try it again. And then maybe I'll make a call. But in general, I prefer fantasy, so it could just be a theming thing. I get it. It's um, both those games are fantastic games. They're they're great euros with lots of options, lots of decision spaces. I think it's cool. It belongs up there. Yeah, and that, it's another hundred dollar game. Yeah. Uh, uh, and coming up at eight, not a huge surprise, I guess, is Scythe. Yeah, see, I don't like Scythe. That that should be like in the two thousands. I really didn't like but, Scythe. But, but so. you're one of the few, apparently, because yes. it is the highest, the n- most number of rank of votes in yeah, the top Everyone 10. loves Scythe. I don't know. I, I I should. I really should give that one a second chance. I I had a, and it wasn't even like a bad experience, like a table flip, or there was an argument. Like like nothing bad happened in the game to taint my opinion of it. I just didn't have any fun. The one game of Scythe I played. So now, coming in at number nine, we have the most expensive game on the top ten, <laughs> the fewest number of votes on the top ten, with Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I, I love Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition, my play fourth, of 4th fourth Edition. Yeah. I know, I love 3rd. I played 4th once. Uh, it's a great game. It's epic. Uh I fourth seemed to be missing an X as I talked about when we did our review a couple weeks ago, which kind of surprised me. Uh, I dig it. Uh, the version I played wasn't very epic at three players, which I was surprised, but that's not a game. You're supposed to play three players. You're supposed to play six and play all night and order pizza halfway through. And it's a thing. It's an experience. I think it deserves its spot in at least the top hundred, if not top 50. Um, there are people who love this version over the last version. So in the one play we played where I did, find out we played a couple things extreme which would have really changed things like in the voting phase you don't burn up your planets so they flip back over and you get to use them to build things that would have completely changed our entire game so i haven't played a full game but overall twilight imperium the experience of that game to me deserves its ranking but again that's a trend i hadn't noticed until we're talking about tonight this is another super expensive game which there's definitely a bias there for expensive games getting good ratings whether whatever that drives that well and, Again, and i think and most importantly not only is it is it one of the most expensive game but it is the least number of votes so yeah. that one least more than anything it. says i've spent 150 bucks so i'm gonna vote this high or 
I only spent 150 bucks because I love this game right. already. I think that might be more of the bias is only the people who love it bought it. Right. Especially because it's on a fourth edition, right? Like people have played the other one. Uh, Jamie say he prefers Eclipse. I agree. Eclipse is a shorter, quicker version. I still like my Epic Twilight Imperium once or twice a year. I'm looking forward to the new Eclipse version coming. Maybe that'll jump up there. And that the round, round off the top 10, we end up with uh, Great Western Trail, which is, as we're talking about wow. years in uh, uh, in the chat room, it's another 2016 game, which 2016. seems to be uh, ruling the top 10. Well, I'll say one thing. I am I am both somewhat impressed and not at once that I've actually played all of the top 10. That's kind of neat. I don't own all of the top 10. Uh, Great Western Trail is really good, but I've only played it twice. Uh, it seemed fantastic. It got dwarfed by Terraforming Mars. The two came out at the same time, and Terraforming Mars blew up, and Great Western Trail kind of faded away. Uh, the gamers really like Great Western Trail more, and now and then like to speak up. Like Anytime someone's like, Terraforming Mars is great. Well, what about Great Western Trail? Uh, very different games. Does a really neat... It's a time track, or it's almost a giant rondelle. So you're slowly going up the trail to get to the end, and the neat part is every round you're adding more nodes to it, so the board keeps getting fuller and fuller. So the first round, you're going to make your, your trail run really quick. And then it's going to get slower and slower as more people add stuff to the board. Very cool mechanic I'd not seen anywhere else. Uh, think Takedo, where the board keeps getting more stuff in it. Very neat game. I uh, haven't played it enough to give a good thing, but both plays I did play it. I really enjoyed it. But man, it's hard to find. So, and while well, also important for me, hard to find on sale. So, it's interesting. Uh, Great Western Trail is one of those games that just got nominated for every award, yeah. but didn't actually win any of them. Yeah, it's, it just kind of slipped under the <laughs> radar with everything. You know, everyone, I, I suspect that PR probably had a lot to do with that in some ways. I mean, that's one of those things where if Terraforming Mars is coming out in the same year, Terraforming Mars is, is you know, really pushing their PR, and if Great Western Trail didn't. See, the weird part, though, is that's not true because they're both by the same company, and they're both pushed equally. They're both Stronghold games. It just Terraforming Mars took off. Right. And then once it did, they really pushed Terraforming Mars. Well, so, to be fair, Great Western Trail has 16 different publishers. So well, it, In North America, right. it was Stronghold games. Both the same publisher. So Stephen Bonacore pushed both pretty equally. But then once Terraforming Mars became their game, well, Still Survive is the one that makes them the most money, but it's their second biggest game. It, it's a big deal. That's interesting. Jamie joined uh, Board Game Geek when Kalis was number one. That's when people were selling shirts that said on the seventh day, God created Kalis because it was the be-all, end-all game. Because that was the first game really to introduce worker placement, which changed the board game world, right? It's like when Dominion introduced deck building. Like, wow, we have this new thing we can do with board games. Uh, so let's uh, let's take a look. Uh, and actually, we'll just uh, duck back. Ryan also recommends for console gamers who are into rail shooters... Kemble Cascade. Battle at Kemble's Cascade. I That was such a neat concept, but it was too fiddly for what it was trying to recreate. So, yes and no. Um, it was neat because you were trying to do, like, Galaga, right? Or any of those. You're, you had your ships, and the board were these plastic tracks where you put cards on them. And you would take the bottom track, dump it, and then put it at the top and put the new row of cards out. And it was really well done. But the thing with Galaga and those games is it's frantic. It's, oh my god, I'm going to get hit and I'm going to do this. Well, this was, okay, I moved two, and then I'm going to turn right. Okay, now we have to figure out how many guys are in range with me. And we're going to have to add up the number of attacks. And then I'm going to attack. Like, it was just fiddly. And it just didn't 
feel like a fast-paced shooter, but it did a really good job of doing that whole scrolling feel. So I ended up selling my copy, and I don't sell a lot of games because it just it didn't give me the feel I wanted for what it was. But man, the concept and the aesthetic of it were awesome. I just think that one needed another year of development for them to somehow speed it up and turn it into almost a party game or something quicker. All right. Well, uh, Shadzar is asking, what is a new trend in modern games that annoys you, either a mechanic or a design style? Uh, I'm not a fan of roll and rights, and that everyone is doing roll and rights right now. Like, I'm not opposed to roll and rights, but like, I think people who listen to the show know I either like highly thematic Ameritrash epic Ameritrash games, so I want, you know, Imperial Assaults, Zaya's, Twilight Imperiums, or I want a nice heavy Euro. Those, I, I go to those two extremes. I don't prefer American games to Euro games, but they always, they have to have epic or tell a good story. I'm not. I'm not a fan of filler games. They, they, you're one and done, and I have no experience to share later. So that was something that came up in discussions with Phil Vecchione at Origins, that one of the things I'm getting tired of in board gaming is the ephemeral nature of some of these quick throwaway games. Like, yeah, I played a game, I won, and done, and it's gone. And I, I, I'm i not going to talk about it a week from now. Well, I probably am, because I have a podcast, and I recap what I played the week before. But a month from now, I'm not going to talk about that epic game of Azul where I scored my first time 102 points. Like, maybe, like, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's one and done. But I might be talking about that game of Zaya, where I played with Tori and Kat, and I died three times my first three turns, First jumping into a sun and then flying into a debris field and then getting covered in ice because that was an epic experience that told the story. And we had a big conversation about how to do that because the actual topic came up talking about one shots and RPGs, like uh, playing campaigns. And how do you get that campaign feel, right? Like we talk for years now about our Obsidian Fist campaign in D&D and how epic that was and how you rescued a baby troll and all that. And baby troll ribs, null ribs, and like people remember those things. We don't talk about any of the one shots we played, right? Like it's just, they, they're ephemeral. They, you forget about them and how to make one shots less ephemeral. And it was all about stakes and story. And I'm starting to, I'm definitely starting to prefer board games where there's more of that. I don't know if Sean, do you have any comments on that one? You're, you're slowly getting into Yeah. I'm, uh, I have to say, I, you know, I enjoy DC, like uh, DC deck builder. I, I think I do think, talk about some of that for a while because there is a gameplay, but I, I'm, Board game arena, uh, you know, I play. I don't even record my plays of Can't Stop or um, you know, some, or or when I was playing Jaipur, we 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 kind of paused on Jaipur right now, but uh, I wasn't even recording those because they were just you know super quick throwaway games. Yeah. So yeah, that overall. That's my upset. Oh, Daniel Zayas, another example. That was his big point when he came on our show. Was that board games have become consumable media? Whereas not something they were in the past, which is an interesting perspective, especially for someone who works in, for a publishing company now, Long Pack Games, that nowadays, what's more important for your game is that first play and that experience the first time you play. And it doesn't matter if the game has system mastery and it doesn't matter if it has a million miniatures. It's that first impression because so many people buy so many games and literally play them once and then throw it away. Not literally, like physically throw it away, but they don't come back and they never play it again. And that's a growing trend is that it's like going to the movies. You 
go to the movies, you watch the movie, you leave. Every now and then, you find a favorite that maybe you buy on DVD, or you find an epic, you know, love Star Wars, and you've seen it 300 times. But most of the time, you watch the movie, you tell your friends, hey, I saw this movie, you tell them whether you thought it was good or not, and then you go to see a new movie. And people are now consuming board games that way, which has is, is kind of scary, right? Like, to me, that's not a sustainable model for board gaming, unless we're suddenly, like, like, Yet the same people are complaining they won't buy legacy games because you can only play them 12 times. So there's both sides of that. But I don't like that trend. Like, but when 9,000 new games come out a year, I get that I want to try all the new stuff. Like, why play this again when I can try this new experience and have this new experience? So it's it's odd, right? It's That's the trend I don't like. But then I don't really want to say, hey, go back to only publishing 1,000 games a year. Absolutely. Either, because yep. I like having all the options. What we need is more people playing games, so those nine thousand games get played. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. I'm yeah, definitely I not. Say, there, there really is. I mean, there absolutely is a place for a lot of these little filler games, and I mean, and the thing is, it's just not your place. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there who really do. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, my family and, and my wife's family are looking for those quick filler party games that they can play, you know, sitting out at the fire uh, out in the backyard in the summer. That that That's the sort of game that they're looking for as, a, you know, they don't want to sit down and, and have an epic something because they want to be talking and enjoying each other, but playing a game at the same time. Um, and so there's, there's a, a couple of different uh, things. But the problem I find is, the roll and rights don't hit either of those marks. Like yeah. a roll and write, you're not going to be playing sitting around at the fire in the summer because it's fiddly and you've got a roll and write, but it's also not the right game for the. So I'm really not 100% sure where ro- the roll and rights in particular are, are, yeah. are sort of fitting in there. I mean, other than as a, you know, you know, quick filler between, you know, when you're waiting for someone else to show up at the, you know, at the table to play. I'm not. Uh, Quite so, sure. so another trend I'm a little annoyed with too is the why do they have to make a dice and a card version of everything anymore? <laughs> that I, I don't know. Although I got to say, like Istanbul, the dice game, I really like. So I, it's not that I hate. It's just Castles of Burgundy, Castles of Burgundy, the card game, whatever. Um, was uh, not through the ages. Nations. They did a Nations dice game. Like uh, just. Like, come up with a new game, I guess. I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. Lantern's Dice. Yeah, that was a hot one at Origins that I didn't get to try. Because, like I said, I, I, I'm really starting to lean back towards that I want to play heavier experiences. Like, I did Gentis and Teotihuacan being my two big games right now. Versus, what was that, a month, two months ago where I was all about Azul and Sagrada, right? Like, obviously, my, my taste changed, right? Like, I'm, I'm a little sick of the Azuls and Sagradas because I played a bunch of games and I don't even remember playing most of them now. Whereas Gentis, man, I remember the last game and first person to get their people together and some of the things that happened in the game stuck out. Yeah, no, it's, it, there's definitely, I think in trying to compete in the 8,000 board game market, people are struggling to keep up. And so they are just re-releasing content in a different format, you know, throw it in a different box or let's deluxify it and get it back out there. You know, there's, it's tough to compete in the flood of games that are out right now. Uh, you need to keep your brand, you know, in the uh, in the eye of the marketplace somehow. Well, plus I, I get it too because then you're cashing in on a name, right? Like if you have Istanbul and Istanbul's popular, and you're going to put out a dice game, why not try to get the Istanbul fans? So I, I, I get it, but there's just something about it that annoys me. The biggest thing I am hating, though, which I you just brought on something that drives me nuts, and this has been happening in the role playing 
industry is second editions of games I already have that are better than the first edition. Because, man, I don't want to buy the same game again. That's getting frustrating. Um, the biggest one that did that to me was Aeon, Aeon's End, which is a really neat deck-building competitive game that the really cool mechanic in it, the killer app, is you never shuffle your deck. And you decide what order to discard your cards. I'm like, that's really cool, right? Uh, I, I like that. And then you just flip your deck over. That's really cool. But they put out, the game came out on Kickstarter, and here it is, and it looks okay. The, the quality's a little low. The card quality's a little flimsy. The art's okay. I'm like, cool, it's fun. We had, a, we had a good time with it. And then they put out like a retail version, like a, hey, this game actually sold well. We made a bunch of money. We're going to do a second edition. Everything just looks better. It's better components. Everything's thicker. They rebalance some of the cards. And I'm like, but I already bought Aeon's End. And it's not like they didn't put new bad guys in. They just kind of, you know, tidied it up. And I thought about it. I almost bought it. And I was really thinking. And then they put out another edition of Aeon's End. And they made it look even better. And this time they put more stuff in. And it's just like, oh, come on. So I, I just stopped. I'm like, I'm not even going to keep up with Aeon's End. You can put out five more versions. Go ahead. Another example is um, Catacombs, which was a flicking RPG. So you had your fighters, thieves, whatever. You're fighting orcs and whatever, but you're flicking discs to do it. And it was really neat. And again, I have the Kickstarter version. So it's like black and white stickers I had to put on my stuff, which I got to admit, looks like a homemade Kickstarter game. It looks like someone probably printed these stickers off on the printer. And they probably did at that point because it wasn't a big deal. Well, then they released a new version. It had all color art. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then they released another new version where they hired like some famous web strip comic web comic artist to redo all the art and then they rebalance the rules and then when we were at breakout last year they had a new version with neoprene mats and i'm like man like i already bought this game like and you're not giving me a refund to trade in my lousy version of the game and it just feels like my version's obsolete now so i'm not a big fan of the deluxified uh people were mentioning about uh monopoly dice games and there is a monopoly dice game called don't oh, go to jail a monopoly me. dice game from 1991 uh so that does not surprise me at all. So we've talked about uh, things that, that annoy that annoy you. What is uh, what is out right now? What uh, mechanic or design style right now you feel is you are you feeling is the most innovative? I I don't know. Nothing news really come out since like the roll and write seems to be the thing everyone's going nuts on all of a sudden. But I don't find that that innovative. The thing I've been digging. So I don't know if this is innovative, but what I've really been enjoying people who listen to the last few episodes have probably caught this is I'm really digging games where everyone has the same input, but it leads to a different output. So whether that's um, what's the one I played most recently, magical forest, something forest. Something like that. Magical Forest. Um, another example is Tiny Towns. Uh, Railroad Inc. Hey, a rolling right. But these games where everyone has to deal with the exact same thing and do something with it. But your end result, every time I played these games, has been something different. So everyone has... So uh, the Magical Forest or Mythical Forest, whatever it's called. I apologize for forgetting the name of that. You have a stack of 25 cards. Someone's a lead player. They take five of those tiles out they flip the first card and then everyone has to find the same tile and they build a garden out of it and then they flip the next tile and everyone has to use the same tile so everyone literally has the same inputs legendary forest thank you deanna and i love that that it ends up different railroad ink everyone's using the same four dice and they all end up with a completely different city at the end so that's something i'm really digging i don't know if that's innovative or new but i like it um there's some classic game everyone keeps telling me i have to play but again i I don't have to, I didn't do research for this episode ahead of time. So I forget Karuba might be it, but it's something where everyone has that. People keep telling me that it's similar. All right. 
So, uh, we're going back to Ryan here. Is there a game? Uh, sorry, or do, do you have an answer for that? Uh, that no, I still, I know there is. I know okay. there's something that I'm like, oh, man, I did not like this. Then went back to and loved it. I know there is. I honestly can't think of what. Um, All right. So I think we're uh, we're getting close to uh, wrapping up here. I think the the AMA. Yeah. I'm gonna ask finish up again with one final Ryan Ryan Peach question. Is there a game from your childhood that you'd like to have Restoration Games redo that they haven't done yet? Well, the big one's coming this year or next year. A Dark Tower. I, I, you know what? That's almost more for Deanna's sake. She's the one that grew up on that. Like I dug that game when I was a kid. Um, everyone wants Hero Quest. Uh, I did. We did talk about one that looked like a neat one. Um, no, there's, there's, you know what? Most of the games when I was a kid, like they'd have to really fix like cats. I, it'd be neat if they redid it, but no one else is going to want a cats, but you can fix cats. Cat has some problems. Uh, a new version of talisman. No, I have, I have no interest in that. Stop thieves already been done. Restoration games already did stop thief. Um, I'm thinking no, I, like, I, like you could do something like uh mouse trap, except mouse trap was a horrible game. No, there was no, that was another one. That's almost not a game. Yeah. Because you just moved through the board, and as you did it, you built stuff. There was no reason for that. And it barely worked. I mean, I found that game failed more often than not. That was the other problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, nothing I can think of off the top. You know what? Wait, wait. Dark Future. Dark Future from Games Workshop. There we go. We were there. just talking about that today. We're just, uh, that, um, if I turned around, I probably it's, <laughs> it's behind me. Uh, old school Games Workshop games, like Space Hulk has come out a bunch of times, so I don't have to say that one. But Dark Future was a, a simple Car Wars, and it was really good. I would love to see that back. Or if you want to back it up just a bit to go back to Milton Radley games, uh, Thunder Road, I think it's called. And that was like a simple version of Dark Future. So you got Mad Max, and you have two boards. And the neat part is the road just kept going. And one of the mechanics is if someone got to the new board, you literally flip the other board and everyone that was still on it died and you put the new board in the front and you could attack the cars next to you and you had you played three different types of vehicles. So you had like a, a motorcycle and a Jeep and a truck and the truck could run other things off the road. But it's really a simple roll and move, like really neat old school game. And you also had an attack helicopter. Uh, that would be a cool one. So th I'm going to go to go with classic game from my childhood, Thunder Road, which is old Milton Bradley. If I can go into hobby games, I'd say Dark Future from Games workshop yep so you go, it took a bit I'll, I'll definitely support uh, dark future i have very fond memories of that game so but like most of the ones i've wanted come back right like the, the vassal's law is true like tom vassal's law is any game if good enough will be reprinted like it'll happen eventually the fact dune's coming back the, like now tom's can just you know sit on his throne for for his quote there because <laughs> i can't believe that one's actually happening that gale force 9 must have gave a fortune so hoping this game will send them to the next galaxy. I don't know. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week's Ask the Bellhop. If you'd like to read about gaming and game night topics like this, be sure to check out the blog at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Gaming Advice, where you'll see plenty of topics answered in blog form. Uh, if you got a question for us, head over to the website and click on Ask the Bellhop or email us at questions at tabletopbellhop.com. Now, for those of you in the chat room, we will be doing the after show at the end of the show. If you do have more questions, feel free to ask. Uh, if you want some non-gaming questions, this isn't ask me anything. Feel free to add those in. We'll get to those in the after show. So if you got something you want to know from me and Sean that isn't gaming related, we'll get to that once we are explicit. And for those of you who want to hear that going forward, check out our Patreon. 
We keep growing with the support of fans like you, so if you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, like, rate, review, click on the bell, thumbs up, or share to your friends. Wherever and however you find us, you can help us grow. Uh, sign up to receive Tabletop Bellhop Weekly in your inbox. Once a week, I'll be sending out an email recapping all of the content we've released the week previous. Blog posts, new podcast episodes, YouTube videos, unboxings, actual plays, anything else we create, you'll find out about there. You can sign up at newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com or go over to the tabletopbellhop.com webpage and you'll find a spot to subscribe in the sidebar. Now, I do apologize for not getting one of these out last week. Uh, this is the first week I've ever missed. Uh, everything I talked about at the top of the show, the con crud, my dad moving last week was a mess. I also haven't got one out yet this week. We'll try to get one out tomorrow. All right, Origins is done. So we mentioned earlier in the show, Major Kayla's in the chat. We are heading to Buffalo, New York next. This is uh, the tabletop bellhop train is going to head to Queen City Conquest. Queen City Conquest is hitting much earlier this year. It'll be July 12th to the 15th and held at a new venue, Damon College. Now, Deanna and I will be there. Uh, we're actually attending a special guest, so thank you for the invite for that, Chris. It is appreciated. Uh, this is a chance for you to play games with myself and Deanna. Uh, we both signed up to run some board games. We're going to have a mix of the new hotness and some of our personal favorites. We do have scheduled games listed, but we're also looking to run some stuff off the books. You can find more about QCC, pre-order your badge, and sign up to play games with the Bellhop team at queencityconquest.com. And now, Tabletop Gaming Weekly, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last here. What games hit our tabletop? Stop rubbing your hands. I just, I'm like, each week we like to take a look back at the games we played, any events we've attended, and other cool gaming stuff that's going on. You can catch the blog version of This Week in Review at tabletopbellhop.com under On Our Tabletop. All right, this is actually going back a couple weeks. So this is the Monday before Gen Con. Uh, last week, I played nothing. Like, I did Gen Con, played all these games, told all you guys about it last week, and then last week, nothing. Because, again, con crud, dad moving, chaos, uh, no gaming. Happens. But I didn't actually get to talk about this because our last episode was our Origins game recap, Origins game fair recap. So I missed giving you this little bit more talk about Gentis. Uh, so this is the hottest new Kickstarter from Tasty Minstrel Games. Well, it was. Now it's Crusaders that will be done. But before that, um, uh, the first time I played it was at the local game store. Second time was Deanna and I. Uh, we talked about that three episodes ago. Uh, but last Monday, not last Monday, a couple Mondays ago, I got in another play. So this time it was with Deanna again uh, with Sean Hamilton, not Sean from Hamilton, and Mike Murphy. Uh, on a Monday night, and it went really well. One of the things that's changed, though, is I'm now pretty confident teaching the game. Uh, one of the things that I now get is what the game's actually about. So I kind of mentioned this earlier in the show, but when I first got the game, after I did the unboxing, I sat down, read the rulebook. Now, they're written really well, and everything seems clear, but I just couldn't tell what I was doing with them. Like, the book did a great job of logically explaining the various mechanics of the game. But reading it, I just didn't see how they all work together. I got the how, but not the why. Well, you know what? Some games are just, uh, as we've talked about in other episodes, not really well written in the rules. And, and one of the things that we've talked about is how you need to link the thematic with the mechanical to help that understanding. And it sounds like that was really the missing aspect. Yeah, this actually, it reminds me of, remember we talked about this with Gugong, 
with the, the teach I had for Gugong, which again, I haven't read the rule book, so I'm not blaming the company that produces Gugong. Uh, and I'm not really blaming my teachers that much. <laughs> they listened to the podcast and I got some feedback. Hey, I felt bad. I'm like, no, no, it wasn't just them. Uh, so I do think that's part of it. So, cause again, it was a well-written rule book. Everything was there. I just didn't get what to do. But now having played multiple times, I now know this game is literally all about the civilization improvement cards. That's all that really kind of matters. Because the main goal of the game is to get victory points. And the main place to get victory points are on those cards. All the other actions in the game are actually just there to help you get more cards on the table. So knowing this, I can now teach the game much better. Because I can explain it's a civilization building game where you are trying to get civilization improvements and get them into play. As opposed to saying, hey, here's a game where you're going to recruit people and you're going to get cards and you're going to build buildings. No, really, the game is all about trying to get those cards down. Now, this goes back to our Teaching Games episode, where I talk about people better understanding the rules of the game by knowing why those rules exist. So knowing this and being able to use it when I taught the game, that meant Monday's Gentis experience was actually the best Gentis experience I've had yet. Having everyone at the table realize what they need to focus on really helped make for a tighter, more fun game. Yeah, and again, now that everyone sort of grasps it and, and puts piece A and piece B together... It's just finally clicking, and and it's obviously proving that not only is the game good, but the rulebook is significantly missing a portion of what would make it. It just needs, uh, players are doing this to score points, and they are going to do this mainly by. Like, that's it. Like, that one sentence was seems to be lacking. So overall, I'm enjoying Gentis more each time I play it. Uh, to be honest, I'm enjoying it so much. Jumping back to Queen City Conquest, I am going to be running and teaching Gentis for groups of players. I'll be playing too, though, because I, I don't want to stand by and watch you guys play. You get to play with me. Uh, so if you're going to the convention, last time I checked, I've still got two spots open at that table. And if those fill up, just hit me up during the con. I'm going to have the game with me that whole weekend, and I would love to play it more. So how about you? You said you actually got some games. I in. did, um, as well as the usual uh, round of Board Game Arena. I finally got uh, the Duke back on the table with my son. Nice. Uh, he came asking me to play, uh, and it was fun. It, you know, up until this point, you know, as of uh, when he asked me, we were actually tied. Um, we were, were even uh, on, on our record, nice. uh, but I made sure we played three games, so I finally got ahead of the little bugger. Uh, <laughs> But no, you know what? It's really, uh, it's really enjoyable. Uh, and one of the things I love is the sort of the randomness of that poll, because there's times when it's like, "Hey, I got the assassin. You're done in two turns." And then there's times like, "Oh, hey, I got the assassin, and I have to place him here, Please. so he's completely useless for the rest of the game. Please come kill him." Um, and and some of that, the aspects of that, uh, really make it fun, as opposed to uh, you know a chess game where you yep. know you're there's only so many possible combinations and, you know, basically, you know, within a couple of moves, uh, you know, against a real expert, you know, you've, you've significantly narrowed the, uh, the possibility is, uh, down this one. It's still so open because, you know, do you pull something? Do you move something? What are you going to pull? I'm just still really enjoying the Duke. Uh, but as we were talking about earlier, it's not one that I'm going to talk about, you know, each individual game, ages down the road. I just enjoy the experience of playing it with my son, not the individual games. 
So Jamie's asking in the chat, have you used any of the expansions for the Dukes? I know you bought the, the one I deluxe. Did. Yeah, we've right? got, we've got the, Ar- the Arthurian uh, expansion for it, and we haven't yet. Um, I keep looking at them, and they seem just a little on the funky side. Uh, so I haven't put them on the table yet. I, I probably should just, you know, again, flip through the rules and throw them in next time and see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've been holding off throwing those in. We do have the Arthurian set. Yeah, there's no reason to hold off, though. Until you get sick of the original, why throw up the new stuff? I have a bunch of the expansions. I personally dig the expansion for the Duke, um, but I played, Deanna and I played a ton of the Duke. Like, we played a lot, multiple games in a row together the same night, so throwing in the expansions was neat. But all of them do change the game in some way. Like, they do change the feel of the game. And we never did the pile everything in. We always did, like specific swap outs so what we had the most fun with like we have the robin hood expansion we have the conan expansion we have the Arthurian expansion was doing interesting stuff like the Arthurian versus conan right so that was just kind of fun uh sorry it's not conan it's robert e howard because there was conan and oh i'm gonna forget all the robert e howard licenses Red Sonia. uh yeah that was the one but then there was the puritan oh i don't remember his name right now but anyway oh it wasn't just conan but for example so I, I liked them, but then the, the only one I never used is we had the one where you could put stickers on it, make your own units. I never did that. And I did buy Jarl. And personally, I still do not like Jarl as much. Jarl's, this this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, with Twilight Imperium, that award that you mentioned, like the gamers the who like games yeah, yeah. were harder. Yeah. The, Jarl is that version of the Duke. It is much more competitive, much more strategic with many more defensive pieces, which to us just made for a much longer game. So in one hand, you didn't have that, oh, I randomly pulled the one piece that lets me win, despite how much you've been planning otherwise. To me, that's actually a feature of the Duke, because it's like, oh, good, the game's over, let's play again, you got me. Whereas Jarl, it's like, by the time I'm done, I'm tired. Like, it's a much longer, more involved game. I do dig that I own both, because I can switch between them, right? And when I get sick of the Duke, I go to the other. But I will say overall, like, for how much I hyped the Duke a couple years ago, it's been a long time since we played it. Like, I do like it. I, I don't think it's gone down. It just new hotness has taken over. Right. Interesting note. I've never actually run into this before. Wikipedia is having problems loading. Um, <laughs> and it's Solomon Kane. Thank you, Deanna. That's the, the Puritan I was trying to think of. All right. So now we talked about what we played uh, since the last episode, which surprisingly isn't a lot. Uh, is there anything you're excited to get to the table in the coming weeks? Uh, I just want to get the air conditioning turned on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have the air conditioning in your house? Ouch. Well, we we just, we've been holding off. Uh, and in the basement, oh. I, I mean, my office is in the basement, so normally it's fine. But I have to say, with all the lights on and the door closed to keep the sound down, it's a little Thanks. warm in here tonight, I gotta say. All right. <laughs> I'll admit, I'm one of those people I start ours. We don't have the money for it, but we cave in early this year. Yeah, no, I've, I I normally do, but because I'm spending more time down in the basement now with yeah. the job, I've been uh, able to hold off. Today was hot. I got to say, it, today, I, my bedroom yeah. is hot. It's nasty. It it's tw- it was twenty eight degrees in my upstairs today. Yeah, I asked I asked my family if they wanted me to turn on the air conditioning, and they said no. I have it on record. <laughs> All right. So for me, there's something big happening this Saturday in Windsor. For those of you listening live, which at least I know some of you are here in Windsor, uh, I hooked up with this new place. So. I tried to set up a gaming event at Parks and Rec after showing up there and seeing that they have like a 500 game board game collection, but all 500 games look like they came from Value Village. And I wanted to show them what a real game night would be, but they, I don't know, we've 
had issues communicating back and forth. We'll leave it. I never got a no. I just got lots of no replies and no one actually letting me know if they're interested. While someone saw that I was talking about having that event, they contacted me and it's a place that is doing one of those networking gaming lounges where you can all get together and play Fortnite together or play classic consoles or whatever. I really meant to stop in and see the place before I booked the event, but unfortunately, again, the con crud and all the stuff that's happened the last couple weeks and Origins, I didn't get a chance to make it in there, but we decided we're going to try it anyway. So this Saturday, I'm hosting an event at a place called Easy Gaming Lounge, E-Z-Y Gaming Lounge. It's on Ottawa Street near Parent. I forget the exact address off the top of my head, and I don't feel like looking it up right now, but I realize there's not a lot of people from Windsor listening or they might be listening, but at this point the event's done, but that's this Saturday. So we're going to check out this new venue. It is a video gaming lounge that's looking to expand to be a gaming lounge that also does tabletop gaming with the help of myself and the Windsor Gaming Resource, which is pretty cool. I'm personally really looking forward to running an event that's not at a game store. No offense to our local game stores, but it's there are loyalty issues running games at stores we'll put it that way it's nice to have a neutral venue that's not a game store where people don't have to decide whether they're going or not whether they like the store or not so i'm excited to have a local event here somewhere neutral again uh, another thing is some people like to enjoy adult beverages with their gaming craft beer and board games is definitely a thing people enjoy and they do serve uh at least walkerville brewery is one of their sponsors uh, they also do have a full cafe so i'm looking forward to trying out the food because as as you know, I'm a foodie and I'm looking forward to playing games and I'm hoping to get some new people out because it's a new thing. One of the things I will be bringing is that 8-bit box we talked about earlier because I got to say a board game about playing video games at a video game cafe just seems to make sense. It seems pretty cool. Now, if we can get enough people out there, they are willing to make this a monthly event. And I see a gap in my schedule the third Saturday of every month. So I'm hoping this goes well enough that they'll invite us back. Excellent. Well, always good to have more events. Uh, now we're nearing the end of the show. I don't know if there's a lot going on in the chat since we already answered a ton of their questions earlier, but do we have anything left before we say goodnight? Uh, there was some interesting and uh, rem fondly rem uh, reminiscing about the old Pac-Man board game uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the Q-Bird one as well. I, I have to say, I, I fondly remember the Pac-Man board game. I remember the Q-Bird game being ridiculously hard and bad because of it, but that's all I remember. I had it. And I just remember, I don't even remember if it was co-op versus the game or competitive. I just remember it was not, not, <laughs> it was way too difficult. Pac-Man I loved. I remember really in the plastic guy yep, that yep. beat the marbles. And I, I, I bet you if you go to my parents' house, my old parents' old house, there's, I don't even know who's living there now. And you go in the basement, you're going to find a white marble somewhere. Yep. There, there's going to be one somewhere on that basement floor. All right. Well, now, oh, yeah, we're. Uh, now, a quick shout-out and a thank you to some of our Patreon backers. Their support helps make this show possible. Joe Swick, thank you. Jeff Seuss, thanks. William Fisher, thank you. Danielle Thomas, thank you. P.S. Goujon, thanks. Oh, that was the double L. That means my shift is coming to an end, and we're going to have to lock those front doors. Though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop One Word. You can always... You can also find us on Board Game Geek as guild number 3347. Drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. 
If you like the content we're providing and would like to support our continued efforts, please consider tipping the bellhop at patreon.com forward slash tabletop bellhop. Remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast to hit your podcatchers and YouTube at 2 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday. You can also watch us game live here on Twitch Friday nights at 8.30, mostly playing Gloomhaven, but now and then we'll surprise you with something else. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For those of you who are here live, thank you for joining us. Hang around and join us in the penthouse suite for the Off the Books After Show. For Tabletop Bellhop Live, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you, and game on.